Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Malachi 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 10. I'm going to read a few scriptures this morning, and and 10 is where I want you to stay, but you can jump with me to, to Genesis if you have to. In Malachi 2, verse 10, it says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been fatherless. And abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing, this is what I would draw your attention to this morning, this second thing. And this second thing you do You cover the Lord's altars with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Why does he not accept our offering? Why does he not accept our tears on the altar? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Listen to me, that phrase, guard yourself, is seen twice in that short passage there. In Genesis 1, you can keep your finger there if you want to turn here. You can listen if you want because I'm going to one more in the New Testament after this. Chapter 1, Genesis 1, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then look at chapter 2, verse 18. I'll read through verse 24. It says chapter 2. Now chapter 2 is an expansion of chapter 1. He created man in his image. He created them male and female in his image. He created them. And here's an expansion of that. That whole chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, is an expansion of that, but verse 18 is where we go this morning. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. 
for he'll watch football all day long. (laughs) I will make him a helper fit for him. That doesn't mean she'll bring chips while he's watching football. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Well, whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names. By the way, this is an endorsement of male headship in the Bible. We believe in complementarianism. It is, some believe in egalitarianism. We don't. We believe in complementarianism which means that they're both created equal, but they both have different roles. And the brunt of the responsibility falls on the man. Male headships all through the Bible. And this is one endorsement. Naming something in the Bible meant authority. So he names them, and then whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was found no helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. By the way, that's where that saying, this is my rib, comes from. When somebody introduces their wife, that's slang, they would say, this is my rib. I don't recommend doing that or you're gonna get punched in the ribs, but you've heard that saying before. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That was the first nudist camp, and there was no shame there. It talked of transparency and an openness and an integrity that existed in the marriage then that doesn't exist today. That's why people cover themselves. They cover their tracks. They cover themselves with fig leaves. In chapter 19 now, Matthew 19, before I get back to Malachi 2, I want you to hear the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In verse 3 it says, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Because that was what was going on in the day. If you burned a meal... Men look for any reason to divorce their wife. It's kind of like what divorce attorneys say today, irreconcilable differences. And so he answered, Jesus answered. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife? This sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jesus is bringing up Genesis 2 that I just read to you, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And Lord, I I pray that in this brief moment together that you would please speak to us, Lord. We want to hear your word, Lord, not mine. We want your word to prevail because it will accomplish its purpose. And Lord, I pray that you bless this word to our hearts in Jesus' name. 
I was supposed to preach on the design of marriage, God's design for marriage. But God didn't lead me down that road. He wanted me to go in the direction of how do we guard our marriage? And what does that all mean to me? What does that mean? From the beginning, we see that it is a God-ordained institution. It's meant to be permanent and exclusive, and it's sealed by God. In our Malachi passage, the Lord is indicting the people for two things in chapter two. One, they were committing adultery with him by going after idols. There was spiritual adultery going on and there was physical adultery going on with his people because the men were divorcing wives, the wife of their youth. By the way, men, when you read that, it doesn't say your youthful looking wife. It says the wife of your youth because we're supposed to grow old together. That's the way God intended it. Through all the ups and downs in marriage, through what we've been through all these years, our our love for one another only deepens. It doesn't go away. It doesn't go away, but we see in this passage of scripture that God indicts the people for divorcing them, and he says, you violated the covenant, and there's violence on your garments, is the way he describes it. Now, I'm not describing it that way. God describes it that way. Whenever God describes something in scripture, you better take it to heart. Now, I don't know where your relationship is today or what your past was. I'm not coming at you with a club today. I'm coming at you with the word of God, hoping to inspire somebody out there to understand the reality of what's happening all around us. Adam and Eve, when God created them, they had no shame. They were naked, none shame. Their relationship was unhindered. It was beautiful. It was a face-to-face relationship, truly, that was built by love, not only their love, the love of God that poured out on them. There was a vertical relationship that was dynamic and there was a marital relationship that was dynamic. But when you get to chapter three and Satan begins to tempt Eve and it says man was there, Adam became derelict on his responsibility. He totally forfeited his responsibility. That's why in 1 Timothy chapter two it says Eve was deceived but Adam wasn't. And so Eve is there talking to the serpent. I mean, at that time, I would be kind of, Lord, you know, you gave me a weird wife. She's now talking to snakes, you know. But here they are. They're carrying on a conversation that, that, what do you see? Nothing happening with Adam. He actually participates in the darkness and the disobedience to the Lord. And at that moment in history, in a moment, their relationship was altered. Their relationship with God was turned upside down. This didn't take any time at all. It didn't take any time at all. If you had a stopwatch, it would have been a 4-4 in the 40-yard dash. It It happened that quick that their relationship with God was altered and their relationship with one another was altered. And judgment proves that when God shows up on the scene and just begins to inquire with questions, what happened here? Well, that woman you gave me, you know, the one who talks to snakes. And then they talk to her, well, it was the devil. And all of this happens, and we need to see the nature of what's going on here. We need to see the conflict that's happening. And there's huge conflict that takes place to such a degree, and the fall happens straight off a cliff and is so monumental that by chapter four, you got the first murder. Brother murdering brother. And what I want to bring to your attention today, really what I want to talk to you 
today about, as we look at guarding our marriage, I want you to see three things that we need to really look at. One is the sanctity of marriage. The other one is the gravity of marriage, the weight of marriage. That's what I'm going to start with, the gravity of marriage. There's, there's a sanctity of marriage, and there's the integrity of marriage that all three of us need to be aware of that I think, and I'm not going to expound on each passage that I read you this morning. My goal is not to do that, but it's to draw certain principles out of those passages that I read to you so that we can grasp what I'm trying to convey to you. And I don't always do the best job of that. I'm not a, the most articulate speaker by any means, but I'm hoping that you grab the message today. And the first thing I want to deal with is the gravity of marriage. The gravity of marriage must be perceived. In other words, it must be understood. There's a lot of things said about marriage every day in favor of it, against it, you name it. But unless we understand the gravity of marriage, the weight of this thing called marriage, we will never fully understand what our marriage is all about. In other words, when the going gets tough and the tough need to get going, if they don't understand this part of it, then there's no reason to even hang in the game. Let's just call it quits. Let's hang up our hats, our uniforms. Let's go to the showers and call it quits. There's a weight to marriage. The weight begins with the fact that God created marriage. That's why I read you the Genesis chapter 1 passage. This was not man's idea. Man didn't come up with it. It wasn't like, man, all of a sudden human beings are living together and, whoa, we're having children together and things like that. And why don't we come up with something and call it an institution so that two people can make a little bit deeper commitment? That's not how it happened. Genesis 2 it clearly states that God was the one who ordained marriage. Amen. He not only made man, he not only made woman, he brought the woman to the man no different than when we do a marriage ceremony here and I stand at the front and the groom's next to me and the father walks the bride down to the front and I say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And he says, her father and mother do. But the father walks the bride down. Where does that come from? It comes from Genesis chapter 2, where our heavenly father brings the first bride to the first groom. And then he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father, and the two will become one flesh. Do you start to see the gravity in the fact that we didn't create marriage, so therefore we have no right to redesign it? We don't have any right to rework it, and when the culture comes against God's scriptural principles, Christians are to put up their hands and say, no, you're not crossing this line because a line was drawn in the sand. Don't ever think about erasing God's word like many spiritual leaders are doing today and say marriage can be between anybody and any being. There's people want to marry their cats now. To be honest with you, cats are probably more committed than some, you know, humans. I get that, but you cannot be playing games with what God created. And Satan is notorious. Listen to me. Whatever God creates, Satan is notorious for redoing, redesigning, recreating in an evil way. 
It isn't just marriage, it's music. Think about how much of his music has penetrated the hearts and minds and souls of our kids. We were there before we were with Christ. Leonard Skinner, you know, Kiss, ACDC, I'm dating myself, huh? I wouldn't even know who was here for the last 20 years, 25 years or whatever, but we know that Satan redesigned, he took plants and he redesigns the plants. You know, that's the number one argument for youth wanting to smoke pot. They tell me right across my, hey pastor, you know, I understand that you're against smoking weed, but man, weed is natural. It's, it's God-ordained. It's in the Bible. I said, well, so is poison ivy. Do you go out and roll around in it? <laughs> but Satan's a pro at that. Marriage, the gravity of marriage is seen in this, that the, the two are united into one. That's what we see in Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, they shall become one flesh. Jesus says in Matthew 19, what God joined together, what God joined together, let no man separate. In our Malachi passage, the two become one. We see this through scripture. And, and so the two are becoming one, and that's of God. That's of God when two people make a covenant here before a crowd, the witness is also the Lord. He designed it. And the two become one flesh. This is why when two people get married, one of their names changes. When Grisel and I got married, she went down, she had her driver's license changed from Grisel Irene Sharp to Grisel Irene Colas. When you guys got married, there was a name change that took place, and that name change symbolizes what took place in reality, that the two become one flesh. That's why we do unity candle ceremonies and things around here. You know, in a wedding, there, there's usually, you know, a candle in the middle. There's two candles on the side. The mothers come up. They light the candles, and then they go and they sit down, and at some point in the marriage ceremony, the couple, when I speak on unity, they'll take a candle and the two candles in the light, the one middle one symbolizing, and I tell them not to blow it out. Don't blow out your candle, leave it lit. But because your individual personalities and how God wired you still exist, but yet miraculously you two become one flesh. God uses both in that one flesh. Partnership. Some people will use unity sand, and I love that because they're two different colors. It could be blue and white sand, and then during the ceremony, they pour it into the center vase, and they're pouring it in at the same time, and you look at it, and you say, how can you separate that? How can you separate that? So the gravity of marriage needs to be seen that you aren't two separate people living two separate lives. You were brought together in one one flesh, and that's why sex is meant to be the solidifying factor in biblical times that that's what happened. I believe even that's why God designed it the way he did with a virgin when she gets married and they consummate the marriage that she bleeds, that that covenant is sealed by blood, no different than our covenant with God is sealed by blood. And so we cannot disgrace that, that we cannot go around and sleep with people trying them out 
to see if they'll work. Really? Sex is the basis for a relationship? It's a part of it. And I can't imagine without it, it would be tough. But it is not. Those are, those are all tentacles of marriage. Marriage is also a covenant. The gravity needs to be seen in the fact that marriage is a covenant, not a contract. A contract is with two people, between two people, making their claims known to one another. Where we do need a contract, don't get me wrong, with the legal aspect of marriage, that you have to have that legal binding. But when you begin to view marriage as just a contract and not a covenant, then you've demeaned it to a secular mindset. You will approach it not from a biblical mindset. A covenant is really looking out after the other person. Marriage covenants are initiated for the benefit of the other person. How many times have you said, well, when I got married, I just wanted to make him happy. When I got married, I just wanted to make her happy. That was the right attitude because it wasn't about us. A covenant is saying, I'm concerned about you. You did not initiate your covenant with Jesus Christ. God did. And it was his work, not our work, that accomplished that. And so that love that comes forth in a covenant that is not self-seeking, but self-sacrificing is so necessary for the marriage to operate. If you don't understand that it's a covenant, it's merely a contract done by the state, and that's why we won't marry two people that are not believers. If one's an unbeliever, one's a believer, we won't marry them. If two are unbelievers, two that are unbelievers, we would marry them, they're equally yoked. Two believers, we will marry. We won't marry a man with a man, a woman with a woman, a man with a cat or a man with a dog, we won't do those. There's a covenant where the man is expected to be self-sacrificing, and so is the woman. But it squarely falls on the shoulders of the man because the woman is the weaker vessel. And if your woman is not responding the way you think she should, you have to check your actions. I'm not saying it's the case every time. But most of the time that when I've done marriage counseling, it's been that, that we, and I'll get into that in a moment, I need to move forward. Marriage is a covenant, I'm gonna leave it at that. I wanna talk about the sanctity of marriage. The sanctity of marriage must be preserved. Now listen to me, sanctity, when God sanctifies something, he sets it aside for his purposes. In other words, the vessels that were used in the tabernacle and in the temple were sanctified. They were set apart for his use. Marriage is that way. God has a purpose for our marriages. He has a plan for bringing you two together. Let me give you what the Bible says. One, it's companionship. We read that. It is not good for man to be alone. We see it in the Malachi passage. Your wife, your companion. Partnership, I will make him a helper fit for him. There's a partnership where both of you now get to fulfill what God's purposes and intentions were for the marriage. There's a portrait that's involved. In other words, in Ephesians chapter five, it says that our marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. When somebody looks at your marriage, they need to see the love of God radiating. 
They need to say, man, those two are Christians. They were having difficulties, but we serve a God of reconciliation. Brought them back together, and now they're running on all eight cylinders, and now God is using them in amazing ways. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley, with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.